Talk Live. Thanks for listening to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Find us every Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on Rumble and Rockfin and on my Twitter. That's at Gard Goldsmith, G-A-R-D Goldsmith. Thanks so much for being interested in the principles of individual liberty. Tonight on the program, the newsflash, the Thanks Charlie edition. What's that all about, my friends? Well, we're going to roll right in after we thank Charlie into issue number one and push some of the lighter stories to the back end of the program for the newsflash. The newsflash is going to consist mainly of issue issue one, as John McLaughlin would say. John Kerry, is he putting coal in your stockings? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Plus, jab New Zealand style, X versus Biden on economics. And number four, a Texas trucking company attacked by the feds for doing what the feds demand. We'll tell you about that. If you follow my Substack and you saw the Sunday News Assembly, then you saw this story. Uh, I saw it indirectly from Conservative Treehouse, and uh, they got it from the Associated Press, which is pretty much an arm of the CIA. But they did cover this domestic story, and uh, we'll go into this. Plus, we'll talk about another story out of Texas, the Attorney General Paxton. Remember, Friday, I discussed how Paxton is bringing suit against Pfizer for fraud, because that is the way that you can get in past the um, the emergency use authorization. If there's fraud, then they're no longer protected uh, by the emergency use authorization from the FDA, and you can sue the pharmaceutical companies. Well, uh, Ken Paxton, now that he's gotten past all the impeachment stuff and everything, um, he appeared with Tucker Carlson. And it was, again, it's a mixed bag. Every time I see Tucker Carlson, I say, okay, that was good. That was bad. But there are major things missing. We'll talk about that and get uh, Natalie Morris's view from Redacted because she did a very, very good job covering that today. So uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about that and getting your thoughts, too. Um, one of the major things that I really enjoy uh, in doing the show is I get to get such ideas and feedback from all of you, and it opens up a real circle of friends here. So if you have opinions about any of these stories, drop them into the chat, and I'll be checking in and saying hi a lot. So let's find out what is on tap for that newsflash tonight. Now, why is the newsflash the Thanks Charlie edition? Well, for that, we need to get funky. We need to hear the mothership Yes? Oh, hello. Uh, hello. We're Mary's parents. Oh, well, come on in, fellas. Hold it a second. Mary's parents burned to death last year. Wait a minute. I know you guys. You're from the news flash. All right. So why is it the Thanks Charlie edition of the News Flash? Well, the reason it's the Thanks Charlie edition of the News Flash was because Charlie Robinson invited me on his program today on TNT. And it was terrific. I got to go on at 2.30 
And it was just a blast. I had such a good time talking to Charlie Robinson. Of course, he is very well known for all his work for freedom, uh, getting into exposing the deep state, the, uh, the, the writing he has, the video work he has, the audio podcast he has. So TNT is a terrific news network. And the interesting thing is when Charlie asked me to join him, he mentioned to me that they're based, the uh, network is based out of Australia. So I came on on camera at 2.30, got to talk to Charlie about a couple big stories that were on, you know, on the, on the stove top, on the range, getting cooked up and stuff. And uh, it was just such a blast. I want to thank Charlie. But I'll, I also want to thank the background people at TNT. They were so nice. And they are. They're from Australia. And it was really nice, uh, just a, a pleasure to talk to them. Because they're based on the Gold Coast. And I've been to the Gold Coast. I've been to Surfer's Paradise. I went body surfing there, watched uh, you know beach volleyball and stuff like that, and had an absolute blast. And uh, so I got to touch base before I went on with Charlie. You know, I was in the back room. They're asking me, you know, how, how, how do I feel about the camera and the microphone and stuff like that? And uh, I was like, oh, you guys are based out of the Gold Coast. And like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I was like, oh, you know, I was out in, out in the, out in the ba- outback, uh, out in the bush in Charleville, and we worked our way east. And I went through Roma and Toowoomba and all these different places. I went down in a coal mine and went to uh, Carnarvon Gorge. And I got to swim out on, on Surfer's Paradise. And uh, so it was a really nice time. And I just want to thank Charlie so much. Boy, folks, if you don't know Charlie Robinson's work, look him up on Rockfin. Look up Charlie Robinson, The Octopus of Global Control. Get the book. Uh, get the digital copy. Get the paper copy because you're going to want to write in the margins. All the research. So many people in this freedom community do such amazing research. It's it's incredible. You get to start your day with uh, Jason Burmis, and then about an hour after that, David Knight starts off, and it, you just roll throughout the afternoon. It's so much fun. And on the weekends, it's great. On the evenings, when I'm not on, I get to listen to uh, Angry Tiger and Jason Barker, and it's just, it's a blast. Uh, it's its really cool. So thanks to Charlie Robinson for the invite, and I'm um, looking forward to talking to him very soon. And thanks to everybody in the chat. Anarchy Andrew, see you there. Good to see you, brother. And Little John as well. Want to welcome you as well. Harry Hart, thank you so much. Hot to hot. Good to have you there. I like that. Didn't, that, didn't the hearts have a dog? too they had a dog they were like really wealthy but they like solved crimes or whatever and i gotta say i'm sure people have probably figured this out but that whole thing with murder she wrote you know jessica fletcher i think jessica fletcher killed all those people every i mean every week it's this little town in maine how many people can die in that little town in maine come on i mean at least quincy was an me you know he was like Sam, don't you get it? It was murder. You know, I mean, okay, cool. You know, streets of San Francisco. They're out there. Mike and uh, whatever Michael Douglas's character's name was, you know, Carl Malden was Mike. I can't remember Michael Douglas. But I mean, what the heck? You know, they're in the city. They're solving crimes, that sort of stuff. Like, hey, whose poop is that on the side? It was a, it was a good show, you know? Hey, how many more businesses got run out of town because of all the government mandates? It was a good show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, everybody. So thanks, Charlie. Can't wait to have you on my show. 
and I might be joining Charlie on uh, Thursday on on uh, on his show. It's not his TNT show, but on his Rockfin show and stuff like that. So on macroaggression. So that's going to be really, really cool. So, folks, we need a theme to get into our major story. And I think you know where I'm coming from. We need to we need to we need to cool down a little bit because we know the planet's, you know, just globally warming. I need I need some smooth music. But oh, it's too hot, too hot, lady. I gotta run for shelter, gotta run for city. It's too hot, too hot, lady. Gotta cool this anger, what a mess we have made. So long ago, you were my love, oh my love. Oh man. Wow. I love it. Why and high, we never took the time to stop and feel. You can't, you can't get into a Monday in, in much better ways than that, right? I mean, cool in the gang, nice and smooth, really good stuff. So, everybody, we know that COP28 is going on. And if you saw my MRC TV piece today, uh, on it, then, uh, or if you were watching over the weekend, you probably saw some. Crazy stuff is happening in Europe right now, and I got to char- talk to Charlie about this. Uh, let's let's get on over into our first story. Uh, this one coming from Zero Hedge, and the reason I'm going to Zero Hedge and not the original source of it, um, they're reprinting it from Epic Times, is because Epic Times has their paywall up there, and I haven't paid for Epic Times, so I need to take care of that. But right now, Tom Ozemek writes for Epic Times, John Kerry, hello, John Kerry, reporting for duty. Okay, John. Uh, special presidential envoy on climate matters, because, you know, that's very constitutional, announced Saturday that the United States has proudly committed to not build any new coal plants and get rid of existing ones entirely. And we already know that the Obama administration worked very hard to shut down coal. Uh, they mandated all sorts of new scrubbers and all these things that are unnecessary based on any concept of common law tort claims because the emissions those plants were putting out were not harming people. And if they were harming people, then people could bring suit and prove it in front of a jury. But instead, they go through the regulatory process and they shut everything down. So Eric Shiner from MRC TV went into Pennsylvania and West Virginia, and he did an entire documentary. He actually won an award for it and um, talked to a lot of the people whose lives were utterly destroyed. They lived in coal mining areas as opposed to um, as opposed to Joe Biden, who claimed that he came from real hard scrabble life around the coal coal mining world, you know, and uh, and of course claimed that, uh, yeah, you turn the windshield wipers on and the the air was so bad there. It's like, dude, you turn your windshield wipers on anytime after driving, especially in those days, and you got enough oil that's spit up on your windshield, you know it's going to start spreading some oil around a little bit if you don't have a hard rain. That's the way it works. Uh, but Eric interviewed lots of people, whole towns shutting down, and John Kerry wants more of it. To meet our goal of 100% carbon pollution-free electricity by 2035, that's our goal. Remember that. He speaks for you. We need to phase out unabated coal, Mr. Kerry said in a December 2nd statement in which he announced that the United States had officially joined a coalition of 56 other countries who, who, not that, 
who all plan to ditch coal in the name of climate change. Well, there's some interesting nuances about the UAE gathering. Yes, yes. Oh, and by the way, on this page, you'll see there's an ad right there for Foundation for Economic Education. There you go. Larry Reed, good guy. And he was nice enough to provide a video segment as David Knight was. They both provided video segments for a documentary I did for MRC TV on Marxism. So while he's up there, I give him a little plug. Go to Foundation for Economic Education. They were the first people to publish any of my nonfiction economics work. So thank you, Fee. Thank you, Sheldon Richmond, for being the editor at that time. So we're going to break into some of these nuances. Okay, but uh, perhaps the first blushing nuance is uh, let's go to what was happening as they were trying to get there. And then we'll go back to John Kerry. Just a little light side of things. Okay, you probably saw this. Okay, but uh, let me go back and show you the photograph here uh, that I was able to use. I obviously I took a still shot from the weekend. You probably saw that video up in the Munich airport. And there were planes grounded. There was 44 centimeters, were 44 centimeters of snow on the ground around Germany. And it was getting mighty cold in Europe. So I got to write this one as the first out of the gate uh, today for MRC TV. And I wrote, after years of devious, unsupportable government subsidized, i.e. tax subsidized propaganda, designed to generate apocalyptic fear and support for immoral, unconstitutional, economically backwards edicts, ranging from wind farm and electric vehicle subsidies to bans on light bulbs. Is it possible that a larger proportion of the American, if not world, population is waking up to the dark fraud the anthropogenic climate crisis scammers have been pulling? After exposure, for their hypocritical use of private jets like the Flying Squirrel, named after uh, Rocky, the flying, flying Squirrel, that John Kerry found so much fun, and diesel generators used to power their electric limos at a previous climate conference in Scotland. After exposure of some of their data manipulation and outlandishly false claims regarding catastrophic sea level rise, and fear-mongering over Arctic ice sheets that, shocker, didn't disappear as they had predicted. After their hypocritical use of air conditioning and greenwashing photo op stunts where politicians, similar to what we saw with Pete Buttigieg, stood near bicycles they didn't use at previous desert climate change confabs and following the exposure of cozy relationships between U.S. politicians and electric bus companies that made unusable products, is it correct to surmise that more of us victims of the grift and graft are circulating the word about these frauds? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it most definitely is. How about you? Are you sensing the same thing? Let me know in the chat. I'll hop over in a second. I'd love to read your comments out to the, to the audience, everybody, uh, live and after the fact. And if you're watching after the fact, please give it the thumbs up and spread the word as well. And don't forget, at Rumble, you can time code things. You just pause it. And when you go to share, you say, you know, start at this point. And then you can, you know, share a particular subject that you might think is worthwhile. And all of these topics are included in 
my Twitter slash X feed. And a lot of these things you're going to, you're going to hear tonight are also in my Sunday news assembly at Substack. So if you're not a subscriber over there, please head over there and check it out. So you'll see the video there. Now, originally this video was disputed because people said, oh, that, that, uh, that thing had been on the ground for a while. And so, well, it turns out that it had been on the ground for a while, but as the snow accumulated, it got on the tail and pushed the tail down and other planes were stuck there. And as I noted, after all, on Sunday, December 3rd at noon Eastern time, as the term hashtag climate scam was trending on Twitter X, numerous people also were noting that large portions of Europe were experiencing enough cold and snow to shut down Munich Airport. Yes, delaying any of those stuffed shirts who are going to fly on their private jets to Dubai, UAE, for this week's COP28 climate fear-mongering sing-along. Yes. And I noted here, as as uh, you just heard me mention, posting video from around Munich, Nan- Nahel Burgers wrote, Nahel Berger, Belgers wrote on Twitter slash X with 44 centimeters left on the ground this morning, Munich, Germany has officially experienced its biggest December snowstorm on record. Well, it must be due to the global climate warming change excuse. However, the weather goes, we'll blame it on mankind, even though it's really not worse than what we had 100 years ago. Isn't that the name of it now? I don't know. It's it's hard to keep track of the grift and the graft, right? Oh, man. So let's hop into that world of dreams, shall we? Let's hear from, and I got to make sure I've got this right. Let's hear from our pal, John Kerry, as Senator, former Senator, now climate czar, unconstitutional climate czar, John Kerry turns into the climate cop. The climate cop. If you're around Boston, if you come from around Boston, you know that there were a series of copy shops called Copy Cops. There was one on Boylston Street, right near where the uh, right near where the uh, Boston Marathon ends. Actually, right right at that spot where the bombs went off, there was a, a shop called the Copy Cop Copy Cops, and uh, they had great ads on the radio. They had those old timey the Copy Cops. It was great. I used to go over there all the time for school. They got a lot of my money. How'd they go out of business? Must have been the must have been the climate. That's what it was. They couldn't get any more trees. You know, all the trees are dead. They completely died. So let's hear from John Kerry, climate cop. And by the way, just to foreshadow this, I've got one cut of John Kerry, and then I I got a little bit more. I was I did some more searching because I heard something and I said, wait, that's not all of the cut. So I found the audio and I expanded it. So I'll give this to you here. A little, little extra work because I wanted to make sure I got this one little bit in. And uh, this is where I'm going to switch over to you to get your thoughts in just a second. So let's see John Kerry, climate cop. Here we go. Talking about how, yes, he has agreed. Even though there's no treaty. And of course, even if there were a treaty, there would be nothing in the Constitution that would allow the federal government to stop coal mining or coal being burned to create electricity. There's nothing in there that allows them to do that, but he's already agreed to this, just like the Paris climate thing. It's not uh, an actual, uh, an actual, uh, what, what would you call it? Oh, it's the climate accord. 
right? It's not a real treaty. It's just a so-called agreement. And they're going to treat it as if it's a regulatory guidance. And that's what they already have been doing to all those coal people, uh, coal-based workers out there in uh, Western Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And by the way, just as an aside, you know, I mentioned Australia and I, I have been down in a coal mine in Australia and I describe it in my book, T-Miser. And uh, it's wild. Uh, anybody who's been underground that far, it's weird. It's really, really weird because, uh, and I'll just give you this quick aside. I hope you don't mind, but the experience is very strange. So we're in Queensland. Uh, it's the Rotary Group. They sponsored some young people just out of college who were local local kids and stuff like that. They took five of us, and five people came from Queensland, from an uh, um, Australian Queensland Rotary Group, and they came up here. They went to New Hampshire and visited, you know, maple sugar houses and stuff like that. Went to the Lakes region and stuff. So it was pretty cool, you know. Uh, I had a great time, um, but we were gone for quite a while. I was there for a month and a half. And one of the things I did was I visited the coal mine that was owned by one of these rotary guys. And they started, started us off in, it, it's almost like you're in a, um, like you're in an airplane hangar and you go on, you, you know, they have, you go in, you go down these different slopes that they've built, you know, as they're going deeper into the ground and stuff. And you, you see those gigantic house sized trucks, you know, where they're just huge and they're carrying all this coal and you're going down in this van thing. And we got down, we got out of the van, we went inside this like, you know, air aircraft hangar, big thing. And, um, they had these, it was almost like an old style, old timey, like A and P with the runs where they used to like, you know, run your packages on the wheel things. And they had sleds on the wheels and the sleds, almost like a carnival ride. The sleds were just wood. They had a lip for your, for your heels. And then you sat on this other like wooden part. It was just this wooden sled thing. It had like rope handles or I can't even remember. And, um, so, uh, you know, the, the, our little group, uh, we all had the hard hats with the lamps and everything. And the guys were describing, okay, so you go down and it, you just, you, you start going down and it's, it's really strange because at first it starts to get kind of cold and you're going down, they have lights and it's just, you're being brought down on this sled and you're holding on to it and your heels are sort of propping you up on this wood thing and you're going down, down, down. And then it starts to get warm. And then you see these giant fans that are circulating air and you realize, oh, yeah, they can't breathe down there unless they've got circulating air. Oh, I'm going to a place where human beings aren't supposed to be. There's plenty more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live coming up. Protection. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. We continue on Liberty Conspiracy live on Free Talk Live. Australia has utterly destroyed 
their coal mining businesses. Uh, they, again, it's, it's a similar thing to what they did here. They were ahead of us in the United States. They were ahead of us in Australia. And uh, they've really messed things up. And, and a lot of the blame goes to, to people like Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil. As good as Peter Garrett was on the anti-war stuff and Midnight Oil was on the anti-war stuff, he got involved with politics, entered the Australian parliament, became the energy minister, and was way, way off base. Kind of like uh, this tall guy. Yes, yes, Mr. Inject Me in My Face. Here he is, John Kerry. Here he is, just so you can hear him in all his dulcet glory. We're going to be transitioning out of coal. There shouldn't be any more coal-fired power plants permitted anywhere in the world. That- well... There shouldn't be any more permitted in the world. Are you getting my vibe on this? I think you're getting my vibe. Yes. As they say, as uh, Billy Crystal used to say, can you dig it? I knew that you could. That's how you can do something for health. And the reality is that we're not doing it. So, um, you know, the measure here is, is really. It's always a measure. He's always going with the measure. You know, he's always got the uh, he's always got the numbers that he claims are real numbers and they're not. Uh, it's just amazing. It, he, he uses these terms and he just throws them out there with nothing to back them up. Uh, sounding the alarm bell. I find myself getting more and more militant because I do not understand how adults who are in position of responsibility can be avoiding responsibility for taking away those things that are killing people on a daily basis. And, and the reality is that um, the climate crisis and the health crisis are one and the same. Okay. So, in fact, you know what? I didn't even realize that last little tale. Uh, that's the bit where I want to go back and, and play that for you. Um, so, I want to do this again. I actually don't even need the audio because this one, I didn't realize when I was recording it, I thought that it, it ended at this part, listen to the egotism of this guy, okay? Just check this out. See if you get the same vibe I do when he talks about those of us who are in positions, okay? So here we go. Um, you know, the measure here is is really uh, sounding the alarm bell. I find myself getting more and more militant because I do not understand how adults who are in position of responsibility can be avoiding responsibility for taking away those things that are killing people. Okay, so adults who are in positions of responsibility cannot take responsibility and take away those things that are killing people. How long has it been since you've heard something so incredibly arrogant and paternalistic? Can you believe this is what this guy thinks his position is to control you like you're a kid he's in a position of power and he needs to take away those those dangerous toys amazing just amazing let's turn to the rockfin chat and get your thoughts on john fatuous carry and i love how he says he's going to get real militant right as if when he was secretary of state taking over after hillary clinton he wasn't militant enough in helping to overthrow Ukraine, as if he wasn't militant enough going to Vietnam, right? And then claiming he was a hero after he likely shot himself. 
Unbelievable. Let me let me know your thoughts, everybody. I really want to get your thoughts. And little John, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Rhonda Tate says he cares about health. Yep. Rhonda says militant. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just the the arrogance just drips off of this guy. And remember, when I mentioned the flying squirrel, I don't know if you got to read my piece, but John Kerry scrambled all over his own tail, that little devilish tail that he must have. Either that or he was you know, wallowing in his own feces because he was trying in front of a uh, a House committee to get around the fact that he has flown on private jets for decades. And they're like, do you have a private jet? No, I've never had a private jet. No, John, John, look, it was your wife's private jet. It was essentially your private jet. It had the name that you wanted on it called the Flying Squirrel. And it was under your wife's corporation, just like you owned two yachts. Okay, John? And you, you park the yachts not on docks in Massachusetts, but in Rhode Island so you could get lower lower fees and taxes in Rhode Island rather than Massachusetts. That's the kind of guy John Kerry is. After he married Teresa Hines, the, the wife of the former conservative Hines Ketchup Mogul, who inherited a bunch of money after he passed away. Just amazing. Just amazing. Pigeon verse. Thanks for being there. Real Jason Barker. Thanks for being there in Rumble. Let me hear what you have to say about this guy. Just amazing. John Kerry and E. Michael Jones were separated at birth, says John John. <laughs> give Kerry a bow tie and Jones and a golf uh, give Jones a golf stream, and you could hardly tell the difference except when they speak. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're definitely coming from different different things spiritually and politically, that's for sure. But yeah, they, they could be cousins. That's that's right. And Anarchy Andrew says, if I had a private jet, I'd put them into a trust. Yeah, well, don't do it in Sweden. We'll get to the Sweden story in a little while because they're probably gonna go after used jets pretty soon, too. They're going after used cars. Oh man. So now let's go back in time. Yeah, since Doctor Who is worthless, let's do our own pretend Doctor Who. Pretend, pretend. Let's go in our old Type 40 TARDIS and watch Al Gore and John Kerry from 2014. This is COP 15, as they predicted that, yeah, you got it. Of course, the ice caps would melt. Here we go. There is a 75% chance that the entire North Polar ice cap during summer, during some of the summer months could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years. You have sea ice, which is melting at a rate that the Arctic Ocean now increasingly is exposed. In five years, scientists predict we will have the first ice-free Arctic summer. <laughs> oh man i love it i love it it's just glorious it's so much fun <laughs> it's almost as glorious as one that i'm going to give you a little bit later on on the weird uh gender nonsense neutral stuff oh my goodness so 
Let's give you a little context, shall we? As John Kerry says, we've got to shut down coal power all around the world. Here is the Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air. I tweeted both uh, two stories from them. China's new coal power spree continues as more provinces jump on the bandwagon. Coal power continues to expand in China, despite the government's pledges and goals in the first half of 2023. Now, to give you some added context, just to let you know, I also tweeted a story about 2022. And I'll just give you the thumbnail on this. David Knight brought it up on his show this morning. In 2022, the Chinese government averaged two coal plants going online every week. I don't even know how that's possible. But the CREA had the report. You can see it on my Twitter feed. This one just basically goes by how much uh, gigawatts they're putting out there. But there's the map. Hey, John, have you seen it? I don't know. Coal power continues to expand in China, despite the government's pledges and goals. In the first half of 2023, construction was started on 37 gigawatts. Gigawatts! Of new coal power capacity, 52 gigawatts was permitted, while 41 gigawatts of new projects were announced and 8 gigawatts of previously shelved projects were revived. Now, again, the question here is how much central command stuff is this and how how bad or good will it be for various um, regions and so on? I would rather have I would rather see a, uh, a private market for this actually occur. Uh, I don't like the way that government puts these things in here. But if John Kerry is telling people that they're going to stop coal all around the world, I don't know what AC's got up his sleeve, but I hope he's not playing cards with the Chinese. After the permitting spree of the past year, China now has 243 gigawatts of coal-fired Marty. Cold-fired capacity currently permitted and under construction. And they have their little uh, their little diagram there with the capacity stuff if you want to see it. Let me enlarge that for you. Again, it's C-R-E-A, and their uh, website is energyandcleanair.org. So you can uh, check that out and so on and so forth. So, yeah, um, uh, there's, there's so much. Let me go over now into the... Oh my goodness! Into a little bit more of the uh, the climate nonsense. Now let's turn to Alex Epstein. Alex Epstein had this to say: "You have to recognize if you get rid of fossil fuels. Well, I'll just let him say it. Why have me say it? Income and population. Let's say, hey, that's just a correlation, right? That's there. We go." Energy allows us to make a naturally barely livable planet livable. And the more expensive energy is, the more expensive food, clothing, shelter, etc. is. So this is a crucial life or death issue. So if you're making energy scarce, that means you're making ultimately survival scarce and certainly opportunity scarce. Now, sometimes people say, hey, Alex, you're just overrating how, how important fossil fuels have been. Because I'll point out, well, look, fossil fuel use perfectly, you can see CO2 emissions, perfectly correlates to huge increases in life expectancy, income, and population. And let's say, hey, that's just a correlation. Right? Oh, that's just a random that's correlation. Crazy. There's no causation. That's crazy. How is that possible? You mean you could actually like produce things with less effort and produce more of the stuff that helps people's lives, like medicine and 
biomedical technology and cars and clean food and nah it's like theodoric of york a saturday night live perhaps there's a different way a different method a scientific method of re nah broomhilda fetch more leeches <laughs> sorry alex i'm jumping in oh man i jumped in on my flying squirrel you're just overrating how how important fossil fuels have been because i'll point out well look fossil fuel use perfectly you can see co2 emissions perfectly correlates to huge increases in life expectancy income and population and they'll say hey that's just a correlation right that's just a random correlation there's no causation and correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation but it can indicate causation but people say no no, no. it's medical care sanitation scientific progress and technological progress those are what have dro- driven up life expectancy and that's true in a sense those have all been huge but they all are cons are largely consequences of fossil fuels because fossil fuels have number one by giving us all these en- this energy to become productive and particularly to become productive in agriculture, we now have all this time to spend in these other fields that we used to spend literally in the fields, right? So it's freed up the time. And then all of these fields use cost-effective energy from fossil fuels to power the machines. And then finally, all of these fields use actually the materials of fossil fuels to make all sorts of plastics and other synthetic products. So you have to recognize if you get rid of fossil fuels without a real replacement, you are going to make life miserable and shorter for billions of people. And it's it's common for people to just say, yeah, energy is not that important. And one, one comment Tom had is he was talking about climate risk and how that's so important. He said, we live under an illusion of progress. I just want to point out, this is insane. We live <laughs> in an era of incredible progress. I was born in 1980. When I was born, this is all adjusted for inflation. There were four, four, more than four out of 10 people in the world lived on less than $2 a day. Think about that. More than four out of 10 people lived on less than $2 a day. Thanks in large part to fossil fuels, which gave so many billions of people machines to be productive and prosperous. We now have less than 10% today. Good stuff from Alex Epstein. Good stuff. I really appreciate that. That Fossil Future book is really good. I have to get that out of the library and show it to you. And I'd love to get Alex on the program and chat with him. Uh, It would be just uh, a real, real pleasure to talk to him. So let's, let's go into some of the information that you might find useful uh, about uh, some of this stuff. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Oh, how about this? Yeah, here's, so this morning, you might have seen how the prince of the United Arab Emirates had said, hey, you know, if if you try to eliminate fossil fuels, you're going to be putting a lot of people into poverty. You just can't do it like that. Well, evidently, he was chastised and chastened very, very strongly because he later, in fact, part of what he said, he adjusted what he said. Part of what he said at that time was eventually you can get into the renewables and things like that, but you can't do it the way you want to do it and force it down people's throats, which is very reasonable, even though I think the most renewable type of energy input that human beings can do is to input their energy into something 
that allows them to get something back in their lives that prolongs their lives and betters their lives and allows more free thinking to take natural resources and turn them into things that help their lives better, which is why fossil fuels are so important because they are so plentiful. They are so cheap. You can then get them cheaply, reduce your cost of living, allow for that extra income and extra productive capacity to be moved into other areas to improve people's lives and create new inventions. You don't have to switch over to the so-called renewables and sustainables because by going with the cheapest, most plentiful energy source, you are creating a more sustainable life for yourself and for others. You're creating new things that allow people to sustain their lives even better. And if the point comes when those types of energy sources become more dear, well, the price will go up. And by that time, people will have developed even more wonderful things to be able to handle problems and be more efficient. We create a more efficient, healthier world by reducing our costs and allowing that free capital to be invested in other things, not by increasing costs and losing our opportunities to invest in those things. And that's precisely what Alex Epstein is talking about there. All the way back from the Industrial Revolution in through the use of oil, from coal into the use of oil, the internal combustion engine has been one of the key drivers behind all of that, allowing us to free up our time and energies to devote them to other things like medicine, like better movement, like new techniques for farming and fishing and communications, all these things that have helped our lives and travel. It's just amazing. But the head of the UAE has run into some problems. So here it is. Global climate negotiations marred by revelations. And this is from a few days ago, and it's only starting to get put out there now that I've noticed. I only saw it earlier today. President COP28 president planned to use his position to push oil trade deals. <laughs> Oh, man. And you know it was leaked to pressure the guy because he was probably going to speak out more. I'm just, I'm just, you know, thinking about this, thinking it through. But, you know, the scriptwriter in me uh, is still alive from my old television days. So the, the plot of this is, uh, is bubbling in my mind saying, I suspect that somebody probably used that to get him to not be as vociferous about oil and energy. They probably leaked this just to get this guy because he was probably going to be even more oppositional to people like John Kerry. The man in charge of this year's global climate negotiations planned to use his position to push, push fossil fuel deals with foreign government officials, according to leaked documents. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love it. I think it's great. Oh, man, because they're such corrupt people anyway, right? Why not have this dude sliding in underneath like the ultimate counter-corruption? Get all these strong armors like John Kerry. We think they're, they're our parents. They got to take away our coal toys, put them in our Christmas stockings. And this guy, Sultan Al-Jabbar, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's running the United Nations Climate Summit COP28, which starts in the United Arab Emirates this week, 
plan to use pre-COP diplomatic meetings, including with Germany, the U.S., China, and Italy, to discuss oil and gas trade. The revelations have been labeled a serious breach of the standards of conduct expected of a COP president. What's that? It's the Council of Participants or something like that uh, by experts in the climate diplomacy area with fears that it could undermine the talks before they even begin. How about reality undermining the talks? I, I wish this dude could make some deals. We want we want cheaper energy. The appointment of Dr. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the COP president was controversial from the start. It was labeled dangerous by one former UN climate boss, but a terrific choice by John Kerry, U.S. Special Climate Envoy. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Uh, by the way, he is the... CEO of the world's sixth biggest oil company, the state-owned Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, Adnock. That's awesome. That's nothing like rubbing elbows with the best, right? Yes, indeed. Frankly, I would prefer rubbing elbows with some other folks. So how about we rub elbows with some people who are actually on the ball regarding climate? Yeah. How about people like... uh Tony Heller, uh, people like that. Let's give you a little bit of info that you might enjoy from people who actually follow this information. So first off, here's Tony Heller. This is just a, a snapshot, but it is fun. Hottest temperatures recorded in Illinois have plummeted more than five degrees over the last 90 years. There's the chart. But, of course, if you were to rely on the charts that come from NOAA and NASA, well, those have been changed. So let's take a look at how they've started to change these things, shall we? Uh, let's see. Here's Tony. Climate scam cultists like to start their graphs in 1979, the coldest year of the last century in the eastern Arctic. Right. Absolutely. But we know, and I've shown you from his website, that they have manipulated the data. So let me see if I can uh, find that little chart for you. And uh, yeah, let's see. Oh, here's, oh no, I'll, gi I'll give you that one later. That's another good one. Um, yeah, all right, here we go. Yeah. Oh, wait, uh, nah, there's so much stuff that I could show you. Um, let me let me give you this John Kerry audio from Gunther Egelman as I as I scroll down here just to give this to you. This is what he's talking about about the ice on the brink of tipping points from which you cannot. But let me just tell you bluntly: when the best scientists in the world unanimously are telling us as leaders in our countries, they're unanimously and they're the best scientists in the world. <laughs> they're telling us. Yeah, bald-faced falsehoods. I mean, everything this guy said, every single thing this guy says in this minute 59 seconds is a lie. It's an outright lie. That we are on the brink of tipping points from which you cannot come back. Irreversible. That the permafrost or the barren sea ice or the, or the coral reefs or most importantly, the Arctic and the Antarctic 
may be at tipping point or beyond. Last summer, it was 70 degrees Fahrenheit above normal in the Arctic. That's false. And then he goes in to watch this one, 100 degrees above normal in the Antarctic. Watch this one. It was 100 degrees Fahrenheit above normal in the Antarctic. And a massive component device that had been lodged in the mud because it was so heavy, it was stuck there. Oh, anybody remember that Antarctic story? Remember that? That went out for like a day. And then somebody went and revoked it. And they said, oh, we totally screwed up. We took a, we took a reading from a puddle. <laughs> There's plenty more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live coming up. Hi, I'm Derek J. To me, an activist's calling is to actively work to advance a cause. The cause for which I work is personal freedom. I believe my life is best when I engage in voluntary interactions and self-government. I reject the idea that anyone else has a higher claim to my life or my body than I do. I see people who call themselves the government as a threat to my personal freedom. I realize you may feel differently, but my relationship with the people who call themselves the government is completely involuntary. If Starbucks used some of its money to drop bombs, I wouldn't shop there. So why would I support the American empire? The empire does not require my consent. Derek J's Victimless Crime Spree. You can order your copy of the Director's Cut DVD now at VictimlessCrimeSpree.com. Thanks for being part of the conspiracy, Liberty Conspiracy, on Free Talk Live. I want to switch over to something else that is obviously a big, big news story. Uh, actually, a couple big news stories. If you saw the, uh, the um, visual that I provided, the visual for tonight's program has to do with the Defense Department, so-called, which has, since World War II, been an offense department. So, want to go with a little theme here. You know we're going to go with... All righty, everybody. So what I've done is I've set up a couple things that will really make things concise and just give you some quick pieces of information. And then if you want to investigate these things further, uh, you can do so. And I have some very valuable video clips that I hope uh, uh, I hope will be valuable for you. Uh, it's subjective valuation in free market economics. So it's up to you uh, to decide whether you think these are valuable uh, clips or not. Uh, but first, I want to go over onto my video player. And of course, oh, all oh, the memories memories yes barbara yes the memories oh oh the memories oh i'm so glad things are different now aren't you 
So the United States is not engaging in warmongering anywhere nowadays. And, you know, because he's gone. He's gone. Oh, why? Oh, why? Oh, so sad. I know. Oh, and John McCain is gone. Oh, but Tiani Box not gone. No, Tiani Box not gone. Got some Ukraine info coming up for you. And no, our guest is not Amy Klobuchar. That's a shame, isn't it? I know. I know you're so disappointed. Yes. Don't you wish that you could have had this guy visiting for your birthday? That would have been awesome. Of course, your nation state would have probably been overthrown. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on with this. Here it is, everybody. We got a two-pronged attack here uh, that uh, Eric Peters might have mentioned. Responsible statecraft reports yesterday. The Pentagon cannot account for 63% of nearly $4 trillion in assets. The subhead from Responsible Statecraft, DOD regularly buys parts and equipment it doesn't need because it can't keep track of the parts and equipment it already owns. Oh, and as you see down at the bottom there, I added this comment, but be sure to vote for warmongers like Nikki Haley. And that, of course, goes to the warmonger we're going to be discussing coming right up. So let's talk a little bit about Nikki Haley, the warmonger, shall we? Okay. So right off the bat, I want to give you, where is this info? Um, Oh, I forgot to mention something that I thought would be pretty big, but I'll, I'll tell you about that in just a little while. Uh, Okay, so first thing I want to do is travel to Israel because everybody knows Israel is just a great place. It's not expanding like a giant cancer into Palestine or anything like that. Here is this. And uh, this one, I could have mentioned this last night. Politico says there are no indicators that Israel shared the Hamas war plans with the United States, despite the fact that it knew for ages that they had these plans. The codename Jericho Wall was the report, and it was more than a year old by the time the October 7th attacks occurred. Can you say LIHOP, let it happen on purpose? Yeah. Can you say maybe Benjamin Netanyahu was a fan of Pearl Harbor? I think perhaps. Yep. There are no indications that Israel shared secret Hamas war plans laying out a detailed blueprint of the October 7th attacks with U.S. intelligence community, according to three U.S. officials. I see. So now you got to cover your own behinds, right? Is that it? Meanwhile, if they didn't share the plans, why were you giving them $3.8 billion in military aid every year if you're not getting real information back about what their threats might be? How are you going to assess that? Oh, that's right. You're not. You're just going to give them more and more money. Though the U.S. and Israel have a close intelligence relationship, according to these officials, they claim that Israel didn't appear to have shared the secret battle plan about which it knew for a year. So that's kind of the bigger story, isn't it? Isn't that kind of the big story that the Netanyahu government, when he took over, as he took over, he either knew about it or he wasn't informed? He didn't find out about this. And how about the fact that we found out today that all the cameras along that area were shut off? They weren't on. 
The only camera footage they have is from the military vehicles as they blasted people to pieces, including some of their own people. Yeah, isn't that great? But don't you fret, because it's very important that Lloyd Austin promise that the United States get even more involved with Israel, which he has. And yet, here's something interesting. He blames us for the disastrous United States foreign policy. This is a very nice little piece from, oh, who could it be? Uh, Got to redo this. Hold on a second, everybody. This dumb, uh, screwed up thing. Here we go. All right. Okay, there we go. Defense, let's see if this happens again. Ah, it didn't. Who's this by? Defense Secretary Austin blames non-interventionists for disastrous foreign policy. Now, if I click off this again, will it pop up again? No, it didn't. Good. Thank you. Wow. Who could have written this? Oh, it's by Ron Paul. How strange. He actually, he's a guy that they, they posted in the LA Daily News. Good job, Ron Paul. Let's read this. Over the weekend, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin explained to the American people what's really wrong with U.S. foreign policy. Some might find his conclusions surprising. The U.S. standing in the world is damaged not because we spent 20 years fighting an Afghan government. That's we, of course, we're all tied into this because we'll go to jail if we don't pay. Fighting an Afghan government that had nothing to do with the attacks on 9-11. The problem has nothing to do with neocon lies about Iraq's WMDs that led untold civilian led to untold civilian deaths and another failed democratization mission. It's not because over the past nearly two years, Washington has taken more than $150 billion from the American people to fight a proxy war with Russia through Ukraine. It's not the military-industrial complex or its massive lobbying power that extends throughout Congress, the think tanks, and the media. Speaking at the Reagan National Defense Forum in California's Simi Valley, Austin finally explained the real danger to the U.S. global military empire. Yes, folks, if you're like me, it's us, as Ron Paul says, the non-interventionists. Let me enlarge that for you. Ron Paul deserves some enlarged prints there. According to Secretary Austin, non-interventionists who advocate, quote, an American retreat from responsibility. This is a guy who swears an oath to the Constitution, and he's got the chutzpah to say that. That's quite breathtaking, isn't it? Austin said the U.S. must continue to play the role of global military hegemon, policemen of the world, or as the new bomb Turks say, if we're going to be the police of the world, I want my donuts free. Yeah. Because, as he says, says Austin, <laughs> Lloyd Austin, military, doesn't conform to the Constitution. We can make him more illegal than he was. More deadly. More hegemonic. Faster. You can be the $106 trillion man, billion dollar man for Ukraine. And Austin said the world will only become more dangerous if tyrants and terrorists believe that they can get away with wholesale aggression and mass slaughter. Gee, it's almost like you could have said that in 1948 as Israel started to establish itself. I don't know. It's weird. And Ron Paul says, how's that for reason and logic? Austin and the interventionist elites have fact-checked 30 years 
of foreign policy failures and concluded, well, it would have been far worse if the non-interventionists were in charge. How about non-intervening in my neighbor's pocketbook and not forcing him to pay for stuff like this? Let me give you a quick example of this. All right. Here's what's going on recently in Ukraine. Here's a headline from the Washington Post. Miscalculations, divisions marked offensive planning by U.S. Ukraine. Okay, here's another headline. Responsible statecraft. The sky is falling. Officials say no more money for Ukraine. Are they saying that they're not going to give any more money? No, they're saying that they've run out of the money that they've already promised and they need to steal from us some more. That's what Lloyd Austin is saying. Here's what a Biden administration official said. And this is a person, by the way, from the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, which always puts out the economic numbers and stuff like that. And they claim they claim that they're nonpartisan. Listen to this. The Biden administration issued a stark warning to House and Senate leaders on Monday, telling them that U.S. aid for Kyiv would run out by the end of 2023 if Congress doesn't pass the White House's proposed emergency supplemental package, which includes about $61 billion for Ukraine. Quote, we are out of money to support Ukraine in this fight. This isn't a next year problem, concludes a letter sent by Shalanda Young, the director of the Office of Management and Budget. The time to help a democratic Ukraine. <laughs> They're not even, they canceled the elections. They don't even allow reporters there. Democratic Ukraine. That's like saying when the coup happened in late 2013 and Victoria Newland and Jeffrey Pyatt worked with Nazis, that that was a democratic Ukraine. Oh yeah, let's go with yachts. That's, it's all in your mind, as Love and Rockets would say. The time to help a democratic Ukraine fight against Russian aggression is right now. It's time for Congress to act. So the OMB literally is engaging in lobbying for more money to be spent in an unconstitutional fashion on Ukraine. Can you believe that? It's just stunning. It is absolutely amazing. And guess what they're doing here? They're running out of money. Ukraine is desperate. They sent people to COP28 in addition to talk about talking about the climate and getting wind farms put in. They, they literally have a deal for wind farms to be put in in Ukraine. Ukrainian government is going to be spending money on wind farms when we don't even know if the Ukrainian government is going to exist at this time next year. They're using your tax money to start wind farms in Ukraine. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they can just blow up a bunch of cluster bombs out in fields and use the use the uh, kinetic energy from that. I don't know. Thermal energy. I don't know. It's insane. But check this out. This is the way the politicians are playing this. And uh, Daniel McAdams and Ron Paul did a great job talking about this uh, today at noontime on the Ron Paul Liberty Report. I highly recommend watching this one. But so we got Chip Roy. And we have he's in the house. And we have Senator Rick Scott, both GOP. Okay. Now, get this. They are looking at the fact that Ukraine is in trouble. They're running out of weapons and they need more stuff. Not as a way to say, hey, okay, we're done. 
We've used up all the money. No more. They're not saying Aerosmith, no more, no more. They're saying, oh, we're in a very good position now to get what we want from Democrats who want to continue funding Ukraine. We can get them to agree with us to fund what we want on the unconstitutional federal control of the border in the southern portion of the United States, continental U.S. This is what Chip Royce says. Well, first we'll read what what Rick Scott says. This is a quote from Fox Business. The only way we're going to get a result is if we will not give Ukraine money unless, unless, it's not we're not going to give Ukraine money because we swore oaths to this you know, this ridiculous and completely absurd so-called authority of the Constitution, which is an authority, but we promise to at least abide by it. No, it's not that. It's we, well, the only way we'll get a result is unless it is completely tied to a month to month on a month to month basis to a reduction in the number of people crossing the border. That's what they want to do. Again, it's collectivist defense, so-called turns into offense collectivist border control turns into them saying that they will want to they will get what they want you'll get what you want on the border as long as they can play favorites to send money to kill people in ukraine i mean gosh gosh and this is what chip roy says in response exactly no security no funding really border are you calling that border security Taking my money, that's security. Forcing me to pay for a border I don't even live near. That is security? You're calling that security, Chip. I call it theft. I think my description trumps your description. Because it's my friggin' money. It's not yours. It's mine. So when I say you're stealing it from me, it doesn't matter your rationale or justification. You're taking it against my will. That's theft. Period. Done. Thank you. Bye-bye doesn't matter whether you've got a constitution and even there it doesn't allow you to take that money for the border it doesn't allow you to protect the so-called border of texas it doesn't allow any of that stuff as i mentioned it's not in the constitution the word immigration isn't there naturalization is there have you read it chip if the word ukraine writes chip is uttered on the floor of the house of representatives before we have secured the border Well, then I guess it's never going to happen. That is an utter fail by Republicans. Thank you, Representative Chip Roy. Well, Chip, we disagree here. We disagree profoundly. And what's curious is the man who claims that he's all in favor of peace and yet lobbied for Lockheed Martin to open up a plant in Vermont. They, of course, make nuclear weapons and bombers that have, you know, wiped out thousands of people. Yeah. Bernie Sanders, you know, the guy who consistently votes for the NDAA every year, the National Defense Authorization Act, because it's filled with pork and often says, well, we shouldn't be in that country, but never, never declines voting to send more money to the troops who are unconstitutionally spread hither and thither all around the planet. That massive hypocrite this time, maybe he's getting a sense that there are some people on the pro-peace side who might have an effect on his bottom line and how he looks. He is now opposed to more military aid to Israel and Ukraine. He says, well, kind of, 
Here's what he's first saying. Just in, says the HuffPost, in a break with President Joe Biden and Senate Democrat leadership, Senator Bernie Sanders announced Monday evening that he would vote against a supplemental spending bill to provide emergency military aid to Israel and Ukraine. Do you think his reasons are for peace or do you think that he's not seeing the pork that he wants in there and he could have his arm twisted just right if he could just get something, just get something else? I wonder. Now, with that stated, keep that in mind, because in a couple minutes, we're going to talk about Jerry Nadler, who also is doing something surprising. But before we talk about Jerry Nadler, I want to tell you about what is what else is happening inside Ukraine. Remember the conversation that Victoria Newland and Jeffrey Pyatt had, which was the famous F the EU thing. A lot of the media people focused on that. They tried to draw attention away from the rest of the content, which was them talking about the government that they were putting together to put in place of the government that the United States and NATO and Soros splinter groups overthrew in the Maidan coup. And then they made it look like the snipers were government snipers and they weren't. They were CIA cutouts. Well, Victoria Newland, Jeffrey Pyatt, they're on the phone. You can still find it on YouTube. You got to scroll down a little bit. Go with the long version. Don't go with the short version. Go with the five minute version. And you'll hear them talking about all the different people that they want to put in. And they're going to put Yatsenyuk in. And he's going to be supported by Klitschko. You'll hear them mention Klitschko. And by Chanibok. That's the Nazi from the Sloboda party. That is in all the pictures with John McCain and, and, you know, and Joe Biden shaking hands with Joe Biden. Well, Klitschko is the mayor of Kiev. And he's, I think, is like a former pro boxer or something like that, a wrestler. He says this. Vitaly Klitschko claims Zelensky, quote, Zelensky is on his way out. He's a former boxing champ that says Ukraine's leader is paying for his mistakes as counteroffensive grinds to a halt. Well, we knew that that would happen. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is failing as a war leader and will soon be on his way out, according to Kiev Mayor Vitaly Klitschko. Klitschko, former heavyweight boxing world champion, admitted in an interview with Swiss outlet 20 Minuten, I guess they can't you know, afford 60 minutes, that Ukraine's counteroffensive had stalled and Zelensky is now paying for his mistakes. Okay, well, who wants to keep sending money out to all of that? Well, that would be none other than, you got it, the woman who now is has enough money coming in for her political campaign for president that she's putting ads all over talk radio. Nikki Haley. Let's listen as I caught this on the Howie Carr show. He talks at a certain point about getting a a sound clip from, I think, Janet Yellen. But listen to this. This is during their commercials. They have his mic open. This is from the, uh, the Rumble feed earlier today. Okay. So here's Nikki Haley and the commercial as Howie goes to commercials. Here's the warmonger. Yes, the deep state woman. She made her career off of promoting the military industrial complex and, of course, messing up states as a governor. Here we go. The world is on fire. There's war in Europe, war in the Middle East, and a crisis on our own border. This is Nikki Haley. Okay. So the first thing she says is there's war in Europe, war in the Middle East, which the United States has been funding unconstitutionally. So she just states this as if they're just happening and the United States has got to pay attention to these things. No, they've been extended because 
You have fed them, Nikki. You and your military-industrial complex warmongers, you vampires, you bloodsuckers, have made tons and tons of money off of these things. Being board members on these things, the way um, Kelly Ayotte was with BAE Systems, at the same time that she was a, a board member at Fox News promoting the idea that more military hardware needed to be sent to Ukraine, it would be over in Ukraine if the United States had stopped. There would be peace. The United States lobbied, along with Boris Johnson, almost coming up on two years ago to not see Ukraine have peace there. And you've got the fatuous gall to say that there's war in Europe. There's plenty more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Coming up. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction, and its features ensure Dash is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible, and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. We return with Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, and we continue with our investigation into Nikki Haley. There's war everywhere, always. There's never a time when you're not going to find war somewhere on the planet at some level. And the United States shouldn't be involved constitutionally or morally. But we'll continue. We'll continue, Ms. Safety for Us. I believe a president must know the difference between right and wrong. All right, I'm laughing. Let's continue. Good and evil. I know how important it is to defend freedom, defeat terrorism, and stop socialism. America. All right, should I keep going, you guys? She's talking about stopping socialism, collectivism. What is everything that she's just mentioned? Collectivist. Can you hold on to your money? That's all there is to it. You either get to keep your money or it's socialism, collectivism. That's the bottom line. That's the way it works. She's a collectivist. That's the way it goes. She's not defending anything except her friends in the military industrial complex. Strong and proud Nikki Haley for president. Today, China, Russia, and Iran are advancing. There's chaos in our streets and college campuses. China, Russia, and Iran are advancing. Is Iran advancing? Did you did you think? Because I don't know. I've seen that map with all the U.S. military bases around Iran. Even Elon Musk tweeted that. I for some reason she's not mentioning all the new bases that the United States has opened in places like Poland and the Philippines. You know the fact that Victoria Nuland got very upset that at least two bases in Niger um, that the United States used to run for drones are now no longer in the United States possession. 
And Victoria Newland got rebuffed when she went there to say, hey, maybe we could like seduce you to coming back to the United States side. Who's expanding and who's not there, Nikki? Who's been expanding since, oh, I don't know, World War II? Who overthrew the government of Iran in 1953? I don't know. Isn't that funny? It's kind of strange. Our security is threatened at home and abroad. It is? By how? Oh, you mean when people attack American civilians because, as some of the terrorist suspects have said, they think that the United States government is our government? They think that you blowhards actually speak for us. Okay. It's time for a new generation of conservative leadership. We have to leave behind the chaos and drama of the past and strengthen our country, our pride, and our... So we have to leave behind the chaos and drama of the past. What did she just do in the past 20 seconds of her commercial? She just tried to gin up fear, drama. It's very dramatic. You can hear the music. It was like something John Williams would have done for a Darth Vader cutout scene. That's Liz Cheney stuff that he's looking for. But here we go. We will beat Joe Biden and make America strong and proud. I'm Nikki Haley, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Oh, man, that is rough. That is just some nasty, nasty stuff. Unbelievable. Just amazing. Nikki Haley, big supporter of you know what? Big supporter of the warfare welfare state. And curiously enough, she has a big billionaire supporter now. Billionaire Democrat donor Reed Hoffman donates to Nikki Haley. I wonder why Reed Hoffman would do that. Hmm. Billionaire Reed Hoffman gave $250,000 to a super political action committee supporting Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley, according to an advisor for the LinkedIn Corporation co-founder. Hoffman joins several other billionaires who have historically donated to Democrats, including J.P. Morgan Chase and companies Jamie Dimon and investor Bill Ackman, who have expressed support for the former South Carolina governor in recent weeks. Now, I don't want to jump to any unnecessarily disconnected conclusions. But as I mentioned, having gone to Boston University, which is 85% Jewish, as a guy who was mistaken to have been Jewish there, because my last name's Goldsmith, but it's an English name, I noticed some massive amounts of money coming into Boston University from very hardcore Zionist interest groups. But I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way. Yes, Bill Ackman, Jamie Dimon, and Reed Hoffman. Now, we've got Dimitri Melhorn, who advises Hoffman on politics, confirmed the donation, which was first reported by the New York Times. Haley, a former United Nations ambassador, you know, as the United States was overthrowing places like, oh, other countries like Libya, Ukraine, that sort of stuff, after the bombing of Serbia and the killing of a million people in Iraq. That was twice as many as were killed by the time Madeleine Albright got interviewed in 60 Minutes. Uh, This former U.N. ambassador has gained support in recent weeks for major donors looking for a Republican alternative to former President Donald Trump, who currently leads the field by a wide margin. 
Wow. That's interesting because he's very supportive of you know what. Hmm. Hoffman was the 25th biggest donor in the 2020 election cycle, giving $14.6 million to candidates, according to Open Secrets, all in support of Democrat candidates. But she's clearly not a Democrat. She doesn't stand with a lot of the big spending and warmongering of Democrats like Hillary Clinton. She's totally different. Totally different. Or maybe not. Hmm. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Hmm. Well, let's turn to this. This came out in August. Nikki Haley's sudden wealth rooted in weapons industry. Pro-war advocacy network. This from Lee Fang, who has been doing exceptional work. The, U- the former U.N. ambassador went from virtually no savings in 2017 to a small fortune, in part from defense contracting and war advocacy ties. I have cross-posted this at Substack if you want to find it. When should America deploy its armaments and forces to conflicts around the globe? How about when there's a declared war? Or how about America shouldn't? Because it's still immoral in taking somebody's money. And how much of the American military intervention abroad is shaped by genuine humanitarian and U.S. interests versus the tangled web of foreign alliances? These questions, which have long divided both major political parties, were on display in Milwaukee last night. This is in August. At the first Republican presidential debate as foreign policy loomed as a key point of contention. And he goes through Vivek. He says, Vivek is the only candidate directly against any escalation of the Ukraine-Russia war. And uh, he says he argued that the conflict represented another no-win war like Iraq and Vietnam. And uh, several candidates, in contrast, bitterly argued that supporting Ukraine is a moral necessity. Mike Pence, of course, we know what he had to say. He said that Putin's a dictator and a murderer. And, of course, he shouldn't be caring about the United States when he was talking to Tucker Carlson. Nikki Haley, who also backs more American funds and military support for the conflict, made similar remarks. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Prigozhin when I was in the... Oh, really? He did? When I was in the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer. Oh, I'm I'm sure you can take that to court and prove it, right? But the debate turned personal a moment later as Haley charged that Ramaswamy is choosing a murderer over a pro-American country. Well, let's get into this. The incendiary, incendiary exchange, which instantly became a viral made-for-television exchange clip shared widely, belied a deeper divide in foreign policy and the curious background of Haley, who went from near negligible wealth with virtually no assets or investments other than a bank account with less than $15,000 in 2017 and up to a million dollars in debt to a sizable fortune. Over the last year, sorry for the pause there. You might have thought I was going to how much she was worth now. But yes, she had $15,000 in the bank account in 2017 and up to a million dollars in debt. Over the last year, Haley and her husband reported a vast investment stock portfolio and $12 million in income. The former South Carolina governor left the Trump administration in 2018 at a time when her parents were struggling financially and had just faced foreclosure. 
Those days are over. Haley now resides in a 5,700-square-foot mansion on Kauai Island, now worth close to $5 million. Haley and her husband also helped sell a strip mall once owned by her parents and worked to clear the family of previous debts. Along the way, Haley became wealthy in large part from her ties to a network of defense interests and hawkish advocacy organizations tied to U.S. and Israeli intelligence officials. In one of her first reported private sector jobs, after leaving her last government post, Haley joined the board, you got it, my friends, of Boeing, a defense contractor, a position that paid around $300,000 a year in cash and stock. Haley, according to disclosures, still owns up to $250,000 in Boeing stock. Haley, Haley's primary income, aside from speaking engagements, is from United Against a Nuclear Iran, an advocacy group shrouded in secrecy. Of course, they're going to paint Iran as evil, even though Iran has always been open to the International Atomic Energy Association. They pass all the inspections every time. The group, which has lobbied for military strikes on Iran, and she has openly stated, go after Hamas and then hit Iran, remember after October 7th, is advised by Zohar Palti and Tamir Pardo, two former Israeli intelligence officials, as well as many former U.S. national security officials. The Department of Justice previously intervened in a lawsuit to prevent the disclosure of United Against a Nuclear Iran's donors, claiming that doing so would, quote, cause harm to national security. Haley also works as a consultant to Prism Global Management, a New York-based investment fund run by Richard Kang, a position that earned $708,335. While the investment fund has no substantial online presence, Kang is active in the defense world and serves as an advisor to America's Frontier Fund, a new group backed by former Google chief executive Eric Schmidt and run day-to-day by Gilman Louie, the former head of NQTEL, the CIA's venture capital arm. At a launch event for the fund last year, a participant openly discussed the fact that America's Frontier Fund is investigating strategically in choke points in case of war between China and Taiwan, in which case the fund's portfolio would increase tenfold overnight, end quote. That's quoted. Michael Haley, Nikki's husband, also launched his own defense contracting firm in recent years. Michael, who previously served with the National Guard, along with stints in human resources and at a high-end clothing store, earns up to $500,000 from a company called Allied Defense. An investigation from the Daily Beast showed that Allied Defense appears to overlap with a sister company, Defense Engineering Services that helps clients, quote, navigate political and legal concerns to allow for defense system acquisition, end quote. In other words, they're a lobbying group. 
iCore Systems, a firm founded by Michael, touts clients in, quote, aerospace manufacturing, as well as gaming. The website for the company provides full details, but the company brought in up to a million dollars in a few details. But the company brought in a million dollars in income for the couple. So good stuff from Lee Fang. Now, if there were a lot of names that uh, you might want to hear again down the line, uh, I'll read this again on Thursday. I won't be here tomorrow night because I'm going to go to Boston as long as my body lets me to uh, take my family to go see Andrea Bocelli and his family sing down in Boston. So, um, yeah, so I won't be here tomorrow night, everybody. But do remember the board of Boeing. Let's see. Uh, United against a nuclear Iran and America's Frontier Fund and Allied Defense. So a lot to be thought of there. And Icor, Igor, Icor. Good stuff from Lee Fang. And Nikki Haley is getting all sorts of support from Democrats for some reason who... Yes, if you're getting my drift, I think are very pro-Zionist. Now, here is one other big thing. Talk about Zionism. Here's the headline, and I'm going to give you this video, really good video from um, Daniel McAdams and Ron Paul. We come come in with Ron Paul making some great points about the way that these people down in Washington will make their deals. Border deal for Ukraine money. So immoral, so disgusting. Business Insider writes this, however. And we've got to give credit where credit is due. This is really amazing. I'm talking about Jerry Nadler, everybody. Get this. These 105 and others, 105 Democrats declined to vote for a resolution declaring anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And here is, you know, we were talking about the Rockfin chat comments where, you know, you could come up and get rid of these acronym names and, uh, You know, uh, Rick mentioned this. Rick XRP mentioned this. Well, here is a bill, and we'll show you the actual bill uh, because the Ron Paul people actually have a screen cap of it. And I believe it's in this video segment that I isolated. But this is a pretty impressive little thing that happened. Remember, about a week ago, they had this proposal to say that you can't be anti-Zionist, right? Well, here's Nadler. Now, he's Jewish, comes from New York. This is interesting. 105 Democrats voted no or present on a resolution that declared anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. This is very interesting. And you can see the button point here. Representative Jerry Nadler, the most senior Jewish House lawmaker, said the resolution was factually wrong. He actually said that. All right, let's turn to Ron Paul right now, everybody. Here's Ron. Check it out. We'll just welcome him right now. This is great. <laughs> so... Well, I wanted to f- finish up with just a little update uh, because we talked, I think it was a couple weeks ago, about a bill that went through the House, that went through Congress, um, about anti-Semitism. Now, the one thing you can count on in Washington is a steady supply of bills condemning anti-Semitism. That's just what they do. Um, but we talked about uh, Representative Massey voted against this. I think he was the only Republican to vote no on it. And what this last bill had was the implied, it implied that anti-Zionism was anti-Semitism. It wasn't specifically stated. So when some people may have said, hey, that's not strong enough, so they came out with a new bill. Now skip ahead one because I got these in the wrong order. Skip ahead to the one where it says the number of the bill. So they've just introduced 
a couple of weeks ago, H Res eight ninety four strongly condemning and denouncing the drastic rise of anti semitism in. All right, so there you go, H Res eight nine four. Remember that it was introduced on November twenty eighth. The U S. and around the world, eight ninety four. It is. Uh, so this has taken over for the one that was passed a couple of weeks ago, and it has a lot more of a bite to it. For the first time, I believe, on the House floor, if you. This is the operative uh, resolve clause. Clearly and firmly states that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Now, that's a real problem. And I think my suspicion is that some of these zealots in there who are just desperate to pass these bills constantly don't really know that much about uh, Jewish history, about Israel or about Zionism at all. And in fact, they thought they were doing a great deed and a wonderful favor uh, to Jews worldwide. When in fact they were not, and they were called out at, on it by none other than Gerald Nadler, with whom we don't often agree, a very liberal uh, Jewish representative from New York. However, if you go to the next one, now Thomas Massey retweeted, uh, he says, I'm going to vote against this one as well. He says, anti Zionism isn't anti Semitism. That's what Massey said. And if you um, actually go to the link, Nadler, believe it or not, had a very insightful, and don't play it yet, a very insightful statement on the floor. Now, part of his district in Brooklyn were what people would call the ultra-Orthodox Jews, uh, the Satmari Jews, which, interestingly enough, originated in Hungary, um, uh, I think in the 19th century. Um, but a lot of these so-called ultra, uh, ultra-Orthodox ultra Jews do not support zionism at exactly 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 they are practicing jews they're not secular hebrew people they are real jewish people who believe in their faith and not in zionism so we'll continue all and here's nadler who knows best because these are his constituents let's play 52 seconds of nadler hold on one second we need to grab our earphones here if you have yours um You've got Nadler uh, explaining to the House, who were probably gloating enthusiastically about what a wonderful deed they've done, pointing out to him, you guys don't know what you're talking about. This is a terrible idea. Let's listen to Gerald Nadler. A little bit of a technical thing. Here's Jerry. Come on, let's go, Jerry. Here we go. Let's get this volume up. Yes, that all anti-Zionism, it states that all anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. That is either intellectually disingenuous or just factually wrong. That unfairly implicates many of my orthodox former constituents in Brooklyn, many of whose families rose from the ashes of the Holocaust. While most anti-Semitism is indeed anti-Semitic, the authors, if they were at all familiar with Jewish history and culture, should know about Jewish anti-Zionism that was and is expressly not anti-Semitic. This resolution ignores the fact that even today, Certain Orthodox Hasidic Jewish communities, Satmar in New York and others, as well as adherents of the pre-Jewish state, uh, pre-state Jewish labor movement, have held views that are at odds with the modern Zionist conception. According to the Jewish Encyclopedia, okay, quote, the answer So basically, and we didn't play the whole thing, but, but Nadler goes on to very appropriately say, this bill would condemn millions of Jews around the world as being anti-Semitic <laughs> because they are not 
supportive of Zionism. Exactly. And I ran into that sort of thing at BU as well. Peace advocates at Boston University who are against the expansion of Israel, who might have been Jewish. Well, suddenly they're labeled anti-Semitic. And you just sit there like, oh, man, do you realize how dumb that is? It's just incredible, just incredible stuff. Now, I want to give you one last thing, everybody, before we go. And I promised that I would give you this information. And we talked about shuttling the weapons all around the world. Well, in the meantime, many politicians around the world, like Nikki Haley and others, would capitulate on your right to keep and bear arms as people like Jerry Nadler continue to push to aggressively grab your arms. So let's get a little theme. Got a couple stories I want to give to you in the news that I think are worth mentioning real quick. Okay, first off, I didn't get to mention this one yesterday. The Western Journal reported this, and uh, because we were going so long, I decided I'd talk about it today. 2A victory, judge rules, federal ban on handgun sales to 18 to 20-year-olds, unconstitutional. It's Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction, and its features ensure Dash is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% of attacks by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete. So it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and It's available in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org. Welcome back to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, the creator of the Liberty Conspiracy, and I really appreciate all the positive words that we've gotten from listeners. It's great to hear from you. You can always contact me at Gard Goldsmith on Twitter. That's G-A-R-D Goldsmith on Twitter. This hour on Free Talk Live, Liberty Conspiracy brings you conversations in part, not the entire conversations, because we only have one hour left of the show. But I wanted to let you know about some very, very interesting people. One of these folks, listeners might have heard before, that is, of course, Eric Peters of Eric Peters Autos, who is fighting for freedom, and in particular, 
trying to warn people about government regulations, so-called the threats against people who want to buy cars and people who want to make cars. And of course, the canards of the climate cult and all those things. So Eric Peters Autos is the website for that. Just go to ericpetersautos.com. And of course, you can follow him as Libertarian Car G on Twitter slash X. Then I want to introduce you to Audi from Modern Retro Radio. He is absolutely fascinating, and I hope you will check out his website as well. It is a lot of fun. I think you're going to really have a great time every time you go there and see all the amazing material that he puts out there. That's modernretrofm.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. And again, thanks for supporting Freedom. I catch them at this all the time. Yeah. They are attempting to confuse and mislead people. Another really good example. Um, I have been for the past week driving the 24 Ford Lightning EV. Yeah, like a lot of and EVs, your video on that was superb. By the way, well, it has a it has a on the display panel. It, one of the one of the one of the menus you can pull up is where did my energy go? You know, and it yeah. shows you a little battery icon. And I glanced down at it the other day, and it said 53% charge remaining. I thought, wow, that's pretty good. Because, you know, automatically, when you hear 53%, you think half, half full, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah. You, in your mind, you translate that to gas engine terms, and you think you've got half a tank of gas, which would typically mean I could drive for, like, the next day if I want to, uh, you know, and I don't have to really think about getting gas right right away. But 53% charge in this Lightning uh, is only about 100 miles, now, this what what's really cool, and it, do you mind if I showed the audience this yeah, video of you? Uh, yeah. So while you were in the F, the Ford uh, one fifty Lightning, doing the testing and you know giving it a, a, a good run, uh, you had your camera with you, and I love what you did. And then, uh, it, do you want to give the details about what you discovered before I show the video or after I show the video? Those little details that the audience might appreciate about you know the sitting around part and you know the the maintenance of the heat for the for the engine and things like that do you want to talk about that or do you want to just go yeah, into sure. the video you know the, the display that we're going to watch will show you uh how much of the charge in the battery is devoted to actually moving the vehicle which as it turns out is only 60 percent of the charge the 40 uh, percent of the charge in the battery goes to powering the accessories goes to powering something called the thermal management system, uh, which is basically the heating and air conditioning system for the battery to keep it within a certain temperature range, which is necessary to prevent it from being damaged and to to make it so that it's able to be charged. All of these parasitic power losses, because again, everything in an EV is electrically powered. So the, the sum of it is, you know, you're, you're actually got considerably less range than is advertised because of the draw of all of these additional peripheral things that aren't even involved in the actual propulsion, the moving of the vehicle. Right. So, and in, in addition to the battery draining, if it's just sitting there not being used and it's just being left there, the battery can't retain that charge. So yeah. as you and I discussed, that was one of the first things I learned from you. While these things are sitting out there in the lot at all these different dealerships and the dealers, dealers are saying, please don't send us any more, no more, as Aerosmith would say. Now you, you've got an additional thing. I thought, okay, they've got to charge them up. That's a, that's an expense. Now, as you point out here, I, I discovered that 
And it only makes sense. They have to keep the batteries at a certain temperature one way or the other, especially in cold mm-hmm. weather, because that'll really drain the battery out. So they need to utilize a certain amount of power yes. to keep it hot for a certain period. And then, of course, you, you do a great job comparing the practicality of having a heater for a, an internal combustion engine car that utilizes the, the thermal energy that's being created by the engine. You right. just blow the, the air at yourself and you yeah. got warmth. It's right so now crazy. I've got a zero emissions vehicle parked in my garage. My 1976 right. Trans Am is a zero emissions vehicle when it's not being driven because it's off. It's not yeah. burning any gas. It's not emitting any gas. Right. But an electric car is constantly burning electricity, even when you're not driving it. So where does the electricity come from? It doesn't come from that little plug in the wall. It comes from a utility plant somewhere. Right. And and most of the utility plants are, are burning some form of hydrocarbon fuel. And right. so they're producing CO2. So, so much for the zero emissions vehicle thing, if you buy into that shibboleth. But enough of that. Let's watch the video. All right. Here we go. Check this out, everybody. And drop your comments. Feel free, everyone. Oh, this is the photograph. I have to scroll down a little bit. Sorry about that, Eric. I forgot about that last time yeah. I was watching. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. And there might be an ad. Hey, this is the last here. hoodie you're yeah. ever going to need to buy. Bearskin tactical hoodie. Bearskin. Bear. I'll just joke around. Little do people know that you and I secretly work for Bearskin. And every time <laughs> right. we go to one of these videos, like, hey, dude, I made another penny. No, just kidding. Just kidding. All right, here we go. Bearskin hoodie. What makes it a tactical hoodie? Hey everybody, it's Eric from epautos.com, your libertarian car guy. I thought my, it might be interesting to show what you're looking at right now, which is uh, where did my energy go this trip? Um, and again, this is from uh, the display panel inside the 2024 uh, Ford Lightning. And as you can see, it says uh, 20% climate use, 10% accessories, 10% exterior temperature, 60% driving. So if I'm reading this correctly, of the battery's charge was used to power things other than um, moving the vehicle, which is very interesting uh, in that you can consider that a 40% reduction in your potential range from external factors that have nothing to do with moving the car. And it's it's interesting to contrast this with a gas engine car because, for example, Yeah, the air conditioning uses power uh, in a gas engine car, but the heat actually costs you nothing other than, you know, what it normally costs to fuel the car because the heat in a combustion engine car is a a free byproduct of running the car. In other words, you're not going to get worse gas mileage by using the heater. Um, So you don't have that loss. And the other thing you don't lose is to the exterior temperature. What does that mean? I think if if I'm decrypting this right, the reference there is to the vehicle's uh, thermal management system, the electric vehicle's thermal management system, which uh, is the system that keeps the battery at uh, within certain parameters of temperature, not too cold and not too hot. You can think of it as an air conditioning heating unit for the battery because that's effectively what it is. And it's always on um, because it's necessary to make sure the battery doesn't get too cold or too hot uh, in order for it to be capable of charging efficiently and also to avoid damaging it. So that's a, a power draw that's always on in an electric vehicle with a thermal management system. And that's something else that you do not have in a non-electric vehicle. When you shut the non-electric vehicle off, its engine, when you turn it off, the car is off. It's not burning any energy just from sitting there. But electric vehicles do. Uh, and that's why, per my earlier video on this subject, when you park an electric vehicle um, and leave it for the night, you might be 
wondering why the next day when you go to drive it, it's got less range than it had when you parked it. And there you go. The reason for that is if it got too cold outside, the uh, thermal management system had to draw power from the battery in order to keep the battery warm. Um, And even if you keep the thing plugged in, you might have lost energy or you might not have gained as much as you might have hoped that you would from the charge. So just really interesting. I thought that I would uh, show this display so people who've never been inside an EV might get a a window inside to the actual operating parameters of them and the things that you need to keep track of uh, while you're driving. You know, so it's not the picture that's presented to people about how EVs are so very efficient, because in some ways they really aren't. If you think about uh, 40%, according to this chart, of the energy that you put into the vehicle being consumed doing something else other than propelling the vehicle. Very interesting, I think. Anyway, more up at epautos.com, the web's best libertarian gearhead site. Um, We'll have more for you again soon. Great stuff, Eric. Good job. We're just going to stop to put the cancel thing on that to get the replay done. Eric, I just, when I saw that, you know, you texted me over the thing and I clicked on that and uh, it just, uh, first of all, I just love the way that you went about it. And all I could think of was, you know, normalcy bias. And I imagined this dystopian future where people forgot about how simple and efficient and low cost internal combustion engines were. And everybody was operating on these electric things. And that was their only measure of comparisons. Like, oh, well, you know, there's a new car, which, uh, you know, they've been able to get this on the electric side, electric side to uh, do this and that. And that would be the only area where they discuss where they're getting their savings. And all that wonderful world would be forgotten. But I, th- I do think there's hope. You know, as we discussed last time, there does seem to be some hope. More and more of these stories coming out where people are saying, this is utterly ridiculous, and the expense is way more. And then even if people want to buy into their carbon nonsense, if they just think it through, they'll realize that the best bang for their buck is coming from the internal combustion engine car. Absolutely. You know, they, I think, I hope, um, that they push this too hard too fast. And as you say, people are beginning to become wise to what's going on, and particularly with regard to the etymology, you know, another way that they're trying to manipulate people is by constantly using this word fast to describe something that is not fast. I don't know about you, but, you know, I think that having to sit at some charging station for a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour, as compared to the less than five minutes it takes to fully fuel my vehicle, isn't very fast. No. But they want people to use that term because psychologically, oh, fast, that sounds good, right? Right, right, and, exactly. And they can condition people to thinking that that's normal, particularly people who, you know, as you, as you said, who may not have experienced, oh, I can just go to the pump and fill my car up and be out of here in, you know, literally three minutes less sometimes. Right, uh, right. You know, people who haven't had that experience, like the kids who are just coming up now, let's say, and the only thing that they'll ever have access to is an electric car where you have to sit at a commercial fast charger for a half hour, 45 minutes, assuming nobody's ahead of you and you have to wait for them to finish before you get your chance to, to put power into your electric car. They'll think that's perfectly normal. Just like, you know, people who've grown up since nine 11 think it's perfectly yeah. normal to have to be processed like a, a you know, like a, an inmate at, at, at a federal prison in order to board an airplane. Absolutely. The idea that the government can prevent you from flying, even though you've never been convicted of any crime and you're out of jail and never been put in jail. Uh, the, you know, and it goes back to the whole idea of kids growing up in the back seat. They don't know why they're in the back seat as little kids. They don't know that it's a whole series of government foul ups and, and government created death 
that goes back to Liddy Dole and even further than that to the very concept of politicians telling people this is the car that you can produce and this is the kind of car you can buy. Um, Eric, there, you have a, a lot of, of, of just amazing pieces. And by the way, I highly recommend that people listen to the uh, you also have the clip from the Brian Hyde show that uh, you were on, on on the fifth day before yesterday. And that was great. And uh, go to ericpetersautos.com, everybody. Uh, Eric, when you left last time, uh, I had a great comment in the chat and I didn't get to share it with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the rumble chatters mentioned that you, they think you're one of their favorite guests. So oh, I'm thank you. That's yeah. Really kind to hear. Very nice to hear. Oh, that, that's good stuff. In fact, I'm going to check in with the chats in just a minute. Now that I mentioned it, I, I won't forget. Uh, but I do want to mention Eric, you know, I was reporting over the weekend about the, the cop 28 idiocy and the snow that they had in Europe and all these different types of things. And some great people like Tony Heller and Mark Morano have been posting the manipulation of the climate data the way that they've eliminated certain data sets and certain temperature readers. And they're even making stuff up and for Florida temperatures where there aren't even any readers now. Tony Heller just put that out. Mm-hmm. He's like, literally, these these reading stations don't even exist. And he's saying, look, they've, they're claiming they've got data from them. It's so fraudulent, but it's also incredibly, it, it exposes government aggression hidden within the so-called government protection. Right. So these canards of the virus and, you know, Mm -hmm. climate cultists coming out with their arguments. So let's turn to Europe if we can. And I know you've got so much more stuff. You've got a great report on the on the uh, the F-150 Lightning. People can read that. Uh, The information about the Fiat thing. I didn't even know. I think it was in there where you mentioned the smart car. Was that actually made by Mercedes? Did I read that right? Yeah, Yeah, I I had no that was the craziest thing like Mercedes Benz you know always seen as this mm-hmm. elite kind of car and they're making the smart car I was like wow well, that's crazy. Was. that thing also cost about $35,000 when uh, it was still available it was designed for Europe you know Europe is not America and Europe has really densely packed cities with yeah. very narrow streets and not much parking so in that context a car like that uh, makes a lot of sense you know, it's kind of like having a moped, except it's covered and enclosed. So, you know, you don't get wet when it rains and you can carry a few things. It's idiotic in this country. And that's why that's why they weren't able to sell it here. I, I remember Red Dwarf totally made fun of that. And because, uh, you know, it's, it's impossible to fit in if you're over yeah. six feet tall. And yeah. uh, a couple of the characters are pretty tall guys in that show. Um, so let me let me head over to the story uh, from the other day. Um, yeah. Um, about the no cash for your clunker. And I know we discussed this a little bit, but I want to hit this again uh, because it's so important. December 5th, it's the end of life vehicles regulation. Now, this originally I thought was isolated. And I brought this up even before I I knew I was going to talk to you. I brought this up when you put this story out because I wanted to let people know to go to your site. Um, And so I've already covered this just a little bit. I just thought this was isolated to Sweden. Mm-hmm. But there's much more to this from the entire EU, right, Eric? Yeah, this is an EU-wide edict. And essentially, it's the other arm of the pincer. The The first arm is to push off of the new vehicle market anything that isn't a battery-powered car. That's the first arm. Um, but the second arm is to make it impossible for people to continue to possess vehicles that aren't electric. And one of the ways that they are going to do this, I think, and they're already doing it in the EU, uh, is to characterize any car that's not electric as a clunker. You know, they love to use this this language to make people think 
that you're talking about some smoke spewing rattle trap that, that can barely get underway under its own power. When right. in fact, all they're talking about are operable vehicles that aren't electric. And right. what they're going to do is subject them to increasingly stringent inspection standards. And if the car doesn't pass the inspection standard, then it's considered waste and it's subject to seizure and scrappage. So, you know, in this country back during the Obama years uh, in, in the early 2000s, uh, it was voluntary and, and the government was paying people money, excuse the cat, uh, paying people money uh, to, to, you know, to give up their older car, which would then be destroyed. But nobody was forced to participate in that program. Right, and people right. did at least get some money from the government. Not that that's necessarily a good thing. But anyway, uh, now they're just, you know, they're just going to take off the mask completely and say, you know, we're going to take your car and that's it. And then your option will be to buy a battery powered device. That's what I call electric cars because that's what they are or walk. And, you know, that's the end goal. And again, this isn't some kind of like a paranoid conspiracy theory. This is in their own words. They've come out publicly and said it's necessary to essentially end private car ownership for the vast majority of people because of the climate crisis. Right, right. And let's, if we can, Eric, let's remind, uh, especially if they're like teenagers or anything like that, mm-hmm. they haven't seen some of this history, remind people of maybe a couple of the pinchers, and you mentioned sort of this sort of thing, or a couple of the layers uh, historically in which they do this thing. So I have a, I have a, 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 a coloring of this and you you can provide what you've written my uh, approach would be to just sort of lay out a couple a couple of the historical precedents that are behind a lot of these things that people need to question that uh, have brought these things around that if you know they're the camel's nose under the tent mm-hmm. sort of thing so first we've got government running the roads we often talk about that with you the assumption that the government only the government can do it only the government can create access between point a and point b for people and of course the logic of that is absurd that means well am i too stupid to get the the my car from the road to my to my garage will the government have to do that obviously it's ridiculous and it's ahistorical it doesn't go with american history clearly uh, we know that private roads are run in ways that cater to the consumers they handle their liabilities better just like parking lots they're better managed in the winter time they handle those things well because they want to attract customers and even for people who might not have the money to invest in getting into some private roadway businesses have an incentive to get you access to their places that's why they have air conditioning that's why they have parking lots that's why they work so hard to make sure that you have a pleasant experience getting to their place and getting into their place. Yes. So there's, right, there's that. Then there's the assumption that um, they can regulate trade that goes over state borders. That is unconstitutional on, on their level because, as James Madison explained, the Interstate Commerce Clause, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, includes that was only designed to stop states from imposing tariffs on each other. It was supposed to be remedial, not preventive, not a priori, saying, you as a person, you're sending something over state borders. We can get in your way of free association, and we can force you to do it our way, which is, you know, utter fascism, right? Then... We've got the uh, so he said it's not supposed to be done beforehand, it's supposed to be after the fact if state are imposing states are imposing tariffs on each other. Then we have the whole idea of the government funding roads, whether it be through the interstate highway system, which they did as a so-called defensive measure, which is utterly absurd, because even if they could do that again on a constitutional level, there's not supposed to be a standing army. 
You can only do that sort of thing if you are declared war against somebody. And the same thing goes for trying to develop some uh, fight against some virus that a nation state might have might have come up with. You have to declare war. Not supposed to have a standing army. The militias are called up. They're supposed to be under the control of the governors until there's a declaration of war. Then you've got the cafe standards and the ideas that we can control the products that go over state borders and we can control these roads. Localities and states claim the powers to do the roads. The federal government then funds the states. So it becomes this interlocking system. And then you get corporations that they know they're going to be victims. So what's the best thing for them to do? Try to game the system. Try to do something that allows them to get away with something, that allows them to hurt their competition or get some money from the from the government like Solyndra or like Proterra or like any of these other EV EV uh, car car manufacturers or battery manufacturers. And even some of these people like Ford or GM, they're like, oh, we'll get in on the act or Volkswagen. They get slammed by the federal government because of their diesel diesel vehicles. And they say, oh, OK, we'll, we'll kowtow. OK, you know, it's like, OK, OK, Biff, you know, like Marty McFly. All right, Biff, you know. So that's my my view on this. Uh, when we look at all these push pushes and then we've got the incentivization of eliminating useful things like clunker cars that aren't clunkers. They're just old cars, as you yeah. say. So we've got a regulatory schema of assumptive, aggressive elitists, and we have them incentivizing dumb behavior like people giving up their used cars and corporations investing in, in really dumb ideas. Thanks for listening to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. There's plenty more coming up. Free Talk Live. Welcome back to Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, continuing our conversations about freedom in so many different facets. You can find Liberty Conspiracy online Monday through Friday, starting at 6 o'clock Eastern Time on Rumble and Rockfin. You can join the chat there, or you can listen and watch at my Twitter feed, which is at Guard Goldsmith. That's G-A-R-D Goldsmith. And, of course, you can always find the show after the fact at Rockfin and at Rumble. And I really hope that you like what you're hearing and that you'll find us over there. And join us live or after the fact. I want to show you a super cool website. It's great when you're doing work, and it's great when you want to find out new information about new releases from great musicians, and you might not be able to get it from the regular radio stations that you hear. Or, you know, you're so busy... You say to yourself, oh, geez, I didn't check in. I follow these guys on Twitter. What's the word with these with this band, that sort of thing? Well, I want to tell you about Modern Retro Radio. You probably have heard about it if you you know, watch David Knight or if you watch Knights of the Storm. One of the great people behind it is uh, the great, great guy behind it is a guy who knows so much about music. He could probably write a book about it. He is Audi, the founder of Modern Retro Radio. And you can find it at modernretrofm.com. And you can see right up here, we got Pat Benatar. Awesome stuff. There's Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo. And our guest right now 
is with us. He is Audi. Welcome to the program in the mind meld. Audi, oh man, you are the founder and you are a savior in a way. Thanks for joining us. Do you want me to mention your full name, Audi? Just call you Audi or what do you, you think, man? You can call me Audi, but you know, mm-hmm. I know you know my real name, but Audi is just a variation of my real name. So right, I'm kind of right. known as Audi. Yes, sir. Hi, my friend. Great to see you, man. Welcome to the show for the first time in the official capacity. Yep. I'm so glad you've been in the audience and stuff. How's the night going, man? Wonderful. I've had my dinner. I uh, had a steak and mushroom risotto. Drinking Whoa. hot tea and lemon and honey now. Yeah, you're looking smooth there, man. I like the look. It's very relaxed. You got your guitar. Got guitar. Oh. oh, nice. Hey, we did name that tune the other week. Uh Name this tune. I'll just play a little bit. All right. All right. Oh, man. That's Layla. Yep. Yeah. It sounds better if we were tuned, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds great to me, man. sounds great to me. So, Audi, I want to give you the word. You know, I mentioned that I would discuss this a little bit. And I want to show people uh, just real quick. So last night uh, for Christmas, I got tickets for my brother, my sister, my niece and me to go see Andrea Bocelli play at the Boston Garden. Uh, His son, of course, wonderful vocalist, great, great musician. And his daughter, I think she's like 13 or 14, wonderful voice. His wife has a great voice. So we went down to the Boston Garden to see Andrea Bocelli. We got dinner beforehand, had a great, great time. And... um, so it got to be about a half hour after the starting time for the show. And I was asking people, they have a special thing where, in fact, I'm going to hold this up uh, to the audience. Andrea Bocelli owns Vineyards, everybody. And if you're interested, you can check it out. He, I think he gives away most of the profits to charity. And um, it's uh, it's a wonderful spot, you know, in Italy. The, the, the I don't even drink wine. I don't drink hardly ever. But I did sample the white and the red wine. And it was amazing. I I don't even like wine. It was amazingly good. It was the best wine I've ever had. Um, But unfortunately, I got to say, Audi, um, and it got me thinking about stuff. I told this to Charlie in an email last night around midnight uh, when I got back uh, because um, he couldn't perform. Uh, It got to be about a half hour after the show. And a woman came out in blue jeans and a colorful uh, blouse. It was his wife. And she had a microphone. And they still had the house lights up and everything. And we were all having a lot of fun. Everybody was chatting and having a great time. And uh, she had a piece of paper. And I said, uh-oh. Yeah. He can't perform. And um, she said, you know, I'm I'm um, Andrea's wife. And um, she said, I'm really sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to hold my voice here. I'm going to cry. And she said, um we have been here this afternoon preparing for the show. We did the sound checks and um, he has been struggling because he's been under the weather. And, and the implication was, you know, sort of a chest cold or flu or something. And he's and an operatic says, type singer, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, just amazing time to say goodbye with Sarah Brightman, one of his biggest things. Yeah. And she's like, time to say goodbye. So um, she said he, you know, it's that we waited and we said we can't wait anymore. Um, he was hoping that he might feel like he could perform in the way that he wanted to perform for you that you deserve. And he just is not going to be able to do it. 
And while she was speaking, you know, he's blind, obviously. And um, so... Um, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Oh, sure. Yeah, he, he wasn't blind all his life. I think he got blinded in a, in a riding accident. And um, he was studying to be a lawyer or he was becoming a lawyer. Very active, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And he lost his eyesight. It was either that or like a motorcycle, a bicycle crash. And, um, you know, he had to adjust his life. Um, I don't, I think he sang, but he wasn't a professional singer, I think until after he became blind and then, you know, became just an amazing, one of the three tenors and, you know, yeah, okay. I was going to, I've heard, yeah, him and Placido Domingo and uh, yeah, yeah. And then Luciano Pavarotti and, uh, they're just amazing, you know, and he was the sort of younger of the guys. It was Luciano and Placido and then this younger upstart. And he was just amazing. People were blown away by the guy, along with doing, you know, great interpretations of pop songs and his Christmas concerts. I've gone to two so far and they're just incredible. They're incredible. He does a version of um, Alleluia by uh, Leonard Cohen. He and his daughter do it. And there's not a dry on dry in the house. I'm thinking about it now. It's incredible. It's yeah. incredible. So it, and it's always beautifully decked out and it's just wonderful. And um, so he uh, we looked over and you could see he was coming to the stairs for the big you know ds the platform on which they had it all set up, set up for the orchestra and um oh you so you got his, a glimpse of him you got a yeah glimpse. you could see his hand on the staircase and she said she looked over she goes oh and she heard him she says oh she goes he wants to come up so she walked over to the stairs and you know the way they do it he came up the stairs and he took her by the arm and he came out and she gave him the microphone and he was unbelievably apologetic and of course, what entered my mind was the jab. And yeah. I thought, you know, you can't help but think about these things. The guy's, you know, maybe 64, something like that. I don't know. So was it and an he, energy thing or he just didn't have the voice? He didn't have the voice. He didn't have the voice. It well, was, I think he had been yeah. had a, a cold or the flu or something. I was just hoping that that's all it was, you know. Yeah. Um, we'll find out more details. They just postponed it. They didn't cancel it. But it makes you think, Audi, of all these different bands, all these musicians. You know, I mentioned to you in our communications, that was one of the things that I wanted to bring up tonight, and in addition to the positives. But, you know, you're a guy who's supported freedom a lot. Yep. And um, you're always there to back things up. You have a, a sentimental uh, inclination towards freedom. You have the rock and roll behind you. You love the beauty of rock and roll, the, the creative work of these musicians, the freedom of travel. And that was yeah. one of the things I wanted to mention to you. I thought about him when the jazz were be first being rolled out. You remember he did that video a long time ago where it was he entered a cathedral. I don't remember which cathedral it was. He was all alone. And he walked blind into the cathedral himself. Yeah. He counted the steps so he could get into the cathedral himself. It was amazing. And they had like a drone flying with them as he sang. It was like, it was crazy. And I thought, geez, later on when they introduced the jabs, I was like, oh man, I hope he doesn't get one. He's, he's a religious guy. And he's a very, very strong Christian. And I thought, I hope he knows about the, the, the fetal cell lines and these things, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Some people, yeah, some people don't, you know, they don't know. And, um, so I thought, gee whiz, you know, these guys, they got to travel, especially him internationally. So there were two things I wanted to ask you about. One is your thoughts about some of these musicians. And again, the jury's out. I don't know, you know, what he's experiencing. Right. I'm hoping it's not the jab. I'm hoping it's just, you know, travel, 
you know, and he'll get over super fast. He'll be fine. And I'm looking at it positively. I think he's going to be fine. There's power. This guy's great. He's awesome. And I'm looking at it, you know, you know, God's there. And however it goes, it's cool. His family's there. They're going to do well. Everything's going to be okay. So it was just a little hiccup, I think. But it does get you to think, and you can't help it. And that's what bothers me. You know, it's that it's what bothers me is it gets me thinking about the evil that these people, so many musicians suffered. So many people, you look at some of these people who fought, like um, Reverend Horton Heat, like uh, Van Morrison, like Eric Clapton later, after he tried to get jabbed, and then he was ridiculed for actually expressing, I was hurt by this thing. I was hurt. You know, Eric Clapton got the jab and a booster. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and the stupid, ignorant, ignoramus is out there speaking before they actually think, you know, yeah. or do any research. And these are these people's lives are spent on the road. And it makes me think. And so I'll sort of hand it over to you. When my father was really into big band swing, you know, he saw Benny Goodman. My dad saw Louis Armstrong. He saw these guys. He saw Great. Gene Krupa playing drums. Yeah, he was Gene there. Gene Krupa? Man. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. My dad was right in it. You know, The real Gene Krupa? Know. Not Salminio, but the real Gene the real, The real Gene Krupa. <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. And my dad introduced me to Louis Belson's drumming. He played me drum boogie, and I'd never heard it before. And he didn't tell me that it was just one drummer. I thought it was two drummers. Huh. And he asked me what I thought afterwards. He goes, so what would you think, guard? And I was like, those two drummers, I love the way they were playing off. And he, and he just started smiling. He was like, one guy. <laughs> I'm like, what? And he told me about the double bass, Louis Belson invented double bass. And I was like, that's so cool. He did it at 17. He's like, yeah, uh, it was great. You know, so he brought that with me uh, to me. But, you know, he pointed out that after a while, when the economy started to sort of tail off in the late 60s and stuff like that, and the bands couldn't really afford it anymore. Um, they had to pare down a lot of the bands. They went to quintets. They went to quartets. Benny Goodman did a great job with his quartet. And sort of the modern jazz came around. And you think about, you know, this picture on your site, you got Pat Benatar. She's still going strong. Yeah. People, uh, I've, I've heard, I've been in convenience stores. People are like, oh, I just saw Pat, Pat Benatar. She's unbelievable. She's, her voice she is. She just is, turned 70 and sings everything in the same key. I mean, amazing. It's, she's amazing. It's it's yeah. incredible, incredible. So, Audi, I want to turn it to you. We look at these generations of people. They've got to travel for their lives. Yeah. You know, they, they spend so much time away from their homes. And, uh, you know, to me, I like to give them respect because I know the sacrifices they make. And we'll talk about some of the sacrifices of international players trying to get into the U.S. in a minute. Well, well do you remember when Dave Mustaine of Megadeth, this was... During the whole trauma lockdown, when some people were start just starting to perform again, Dave Mustaine called out the BS big time. I don't know if he, it was a viral video of him on stage. Yeah, basically, you know. Yeah. Oh, up. yeah. He was swearing. I remember. Yeah. Yep. Abs. Absolutely right. Well, and it, you know. The, well, with the show that you went to last night, well, we do know that people who are jabbed are actually more likely to have recurring yeah. bouts with COVID. And one yeah. thing that I do know about COVID is uh, it takes weeks sometimes for your voice to get back to uh, peak level. Mm-hmm. I think I caught some variant, uh, oh gosh, seven, eight months ago. Yeah. And and I picked up my guitar to sing, and I noticed I was struggling just to hit basic notes. And I just thought, wow, because, you know, when you go a while without singing, some you know, you can – 
be a little rusty. But then I realized, no, uh, it was uh, whatever was going around. And, and yep. now I'm back to normal. So yeah. I wonder if that's what's going on uh, with Mr. Bocelli. You know, I, I hope that's the, the worst of it. Oh, well, if you don't mind, Audi, uh, I'd love to bring you, uh, you know, offer you the opportunity and we can talk about it off the air, but I'd love to bring you on as like a regular guest to talk about music, musicians, yeah. current breaking things and stuff and, and attract people to, to, to modern retro radio because it, it is so cool. And, um, yeah. again, folks, it's modern retro FM.com and, uh, stream it, put it on in the background Audi, it's interesting you should bring that up just on the specifics of it, because I caught, I think I caught it from a member of the Zulus when we went to one of their reunion shows who had been double jabbed. And a couple couple days after their show, I hugged him and then I got in my car and I had an orange and my, I asked my sister if she wanted a piece of orange. And she said, no, that's OK. She was driving. I was having the orange and I put some like, you know, silver stuff on my fingers, try to, you know, cleanse them. But I hadn't really gotten cleaned up. And a couple days later. He got online and he said, oh, I've come down with COVID. And sure enough, I started feeling really weird. So I got, yeah, I went to Dr. Zelenko's site. I had some prednisone. I didn't have, uh, she had gotten some ivermectin, but she gave it away or something because I, I, we had a miscommunication. I thought she still had it. So I was going to take it. She goes, oh, I, I gave it away. I was like, oh, shoot. So luckily I had prednisone left over. And again, that's a massive anti-inflammatory. So I took that till the, I could get the ivermectin in. And I'm telling you, man. When I took that ivermectin, literally within like three hours, it was that was it. It was done. I have was, heard yeah. people have remarkably quick recovery. Yeah, there. yeah. I, I can't believe I still don't have any of my own. I need to have some stash. It's away. it's definitely worth getting. You know, the American frontline doctors or something. But there was a strange latent thing, as you mentioned, the latent stuff. First of all, I already have an elevated immune system, which I think is part of the problem with this mold stuff that I've been dealing with. I think it's the mold stuff. Where my immune system, I had already taken hydroxychloroquine in the 90s, so I was familiar with the, the fact that it was a, an immunomodulator. Um, and, uh, but one of the, one of the things that I noticed, I haven't taken it for years. One of the things I noticed after I got done with the COVID thing was I had this long-term thing, my salivatory glands. I was salivating like crazy. And it was like, what is going on? It was really driving me nuts. I'd like bend over the cat. I have to keep swallowing. I love to sing to the cat. And I like to blow on the cat's ear. She likes that. And I would be like, mm, I got to swallow again. This is ridiculous. And yeah. the exhaustion was just, I'm still dealing with the exhaustion stuff. It's a combination of the mold stuff, I think. And, and that, uh. yeah, it's been really, really weird. So, but you know, Audi, I think about these people in rock and roll and, you know, what they go through in their lives, being away from their kids. Um, some people take some time off. Uh, you look at Blondie with what, uh, you know, Debbie Harry taking time off to help Chris Stein when he got Pemphigus vulgaris. Yeah. Years that she didn't tour. All that time taken away. But she was devoted to helping him. Yeah. And it, it really, you know, it, it you start to understand the human qualities of these musicians. And it makes you want to support them more. You know what I mean? Um, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, uh, she's on tour right now without uh, Chris uh, Stein. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I think it's a farewell tour. I'm not sure, but uh, but she's rocking harder than ever, and she's pushing eighty. Oh, it's amazing! Amazing, yeah. and she's in amazing shape. It's like it's like Mick. We're we're looking at new tickets to see see the Stones again, or or the Who, Roger Daltrey. The guy's like he could go out and go boxing. You know, 
We yeah, saw there was a tour. Uh, they well, you know, Roger Daltrey is always kept in pretty good shape, but yep. he got in such great shape. This was maybe like 2015, 2016. He was going shirtless again, or unbuttoning <laughs> his shirt, and he was in his seventies or almost seventy. I'm like, good man. Holy so I had smoke. no excuse, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I recently have lost uh, a little over fifty pounds. Um, because I, well, I was in my last relationship. I was uh, in a relationship for uh, six and a half years, and all you do when you're in a relationship is eat. You know, yeah, true, and right? We, and and it's the same as when you lose weight as when you gain weight. You don't see yourself losing weight. You just or gaining weight. You just wake up one day and realize, whoa, I'm fat. You yeah, know? yeah. And, my my belt is loose this time. What's going on? And, uh, yeah, and now yeah. The, the opposite has happened. So ever since I've been working from home full time for the last uh, about a year. I do anywhere from 60 to 100 push-ups a day. And so I'm, I'm, I'm back to normal now, but I didn't even see it yeah. coming. I just woke up and realized it. It's weird. And it's, and especially after doing the COVID thing, like I said, uh, if you're, if you get low on the energies, you really got to focus. You know, I go on the exercise bike every other day. I try to do at least 26 pull-ups every day. Sometimes wow. I double that and I'll go towards 50. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, what I, what I do. And, um, uh, it's, it's one of these ways, you know, you show nobility in, you know, pushing that rock and getting it back up to the top of the hill. There is nobility in that. Let me ask you, Audi, uh, for people who are new to finding out about modern retro radio, yep. first of all, want to mention how they can find you again, and then mention some of the facets in just a bit of what is, featured at the website which i think is super cool and i want to keep promoting it because you know there are oh what's that it's a, it's a very basic uh, format i yeah most of the artists well we've yeah. all heard of let me just let me just yeah. ask you what got you interested in doing this because it distinguishes yeah. itself from you know other websites that are just you know you click on it and the stuff is going to get served up to you based on algorithms this is coming from a guy this is a guy who loves music you are like a rick beato level guy you are like the professor of rock type guy oh. you're one of those guys you know like matt pinfield from out in la i follow matt on on twitter oh, a dj an encyclopedia Oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. You know, so let's uh, show the website. I'll, I'll show the website off a little bit here. Tell us what inspired you to start modernretrofm.com. It started from years and years and years of hair pulling frustration of what, being a huge fan of solo Paul McCartney. And just watching album after album after album after album of his be completely ignored by radio. What happened was, you know, Wings, they were big. And then they broke up in the early 80s. Paul had a lot of success. You know, the, the CV Wonder duets and the Michael Jackson duets and all that. Those were huge. But he didn't tour in the 80s. And, uh, and his last two big hit singles were both soundtrack songs. Spies Like Us and uh, No More Lonely Nights from a movie he made that really flopped. Mm. But something happened after Spies Like Us. FM Radio just stopped playing him. And that was the time that I started getting into him. And Paul McCartney's best albums are definitely the late 80s and throughout the 90s and the 2000s. 
Uh, but so, the songwriting's incredible. You just hear him on the piano, and you're like, and he doesn't even read music. You don't have to read music to play. No. You just have no. to know the names of the chords and have a decent ear. Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to sound like, what I'm about to say is going to sound like an overstatement, but he put out an album under his pseudonym called The Fireman in 2008, and I am telling you, it is the Sgt. Pepper of his post-Beatles career. Wow. You heard it here. The album's called Electric Arguments, okay? Yeah. Check it out. And uh, he, he did three Fireman albums, and that was the one that just, the inspiration, it, the, the, the philosophy behind The Fireman is he doesn't have to be Paul McCartney. He, he's right. another guy, so he right. can do what he wants. And it just turned out to be such a strong album. May so, I ask you, Audi? Yeah. Uh, I I ran and I I had a really good conversation with Youth of Killing Joke. Uh, uh, that's his back. partner, and uh, that's his. He produces him for yep. uh, uh, the Fireman. That's exactly what I wanted to mention because, of course, Youth won a Grammy for producing the Verbs Bittersweet Symphony. And I'm, you know, I'm just hanging out. Youth is smoking a spliff out in front of the the Paradise Rock Club. I'm, I was talking with Jazz, and it was the second time that Jazz and I had met. And and we, you know, we just picked up our conversation from before, and it was so much fun. It was the afternoon. They had done their sound check, and they were just hanging around. It was a beautiful afternoon, nice and sunny and warm. And uh, and Youth had some of his artwork out there, yeah. and he was yeah, he was just sitting there smoking smoking a joint and. Uh, so I started talking to youth and youth was the one who told me, I, I, I said to him, I said, oh, yeah, you know, youth jazz told us about how you guys were squatting in that house when you first started in Ladbroke Grove. You just were living in an empty house. And he told me about how the clash was on the sec- on the first floor and you guys are on the second floor. And, you know, how Joe Strummer got he got the electrics going and you, you just lived there. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, we got really lucky because. It was such a bad economy. There were all these empty buildings and we were all on the dole. So we could, you know, live in these places and then we could go out and try to gig. And that was just enough money to get by. And I was like, wow, that's really wild. And then um, then he said he didn't tell you who was on the third floor. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a third floor. He goes, oh, yeah, that was Motorhead. I'm like, what? (laughs) And I even said, has anybody approached you to do a movie about this or a TV series? He goes, no, but that's a pretty good idea. And then we started talking about the Paul McCartney stuff. And I was like, I didn't know you work with Paul McCartney. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. He's a really nice guy. And it it was really, it was nice to see. Again, it's that personal touch. They did three three Fireman albums. The first one was in 93. Three, one in 98, and then 2008. We've got to fly thanks to ModernRetroFM.com and Audi, and thanks to you for listening to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com. 